Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here on a JM in the AM broadcast. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Always a pleasure. Shabbos Mavachim, Chayisara. Yeah, boy. All good things. How is Baku? Compared to the rest of the world. How is Baku? It was quite amazing, I have to say. And I regret that um, my flight was delayed coming back, so I didn't make it back Friday morning in time, but Baruch Hashem made it back in time and got to Fifth Avenue Synagogue for my Friday night speech and Saturday night at Young Israel and Woodmere on the Begin Project and all of the others. But the, the amazing thing was there were Muslim leaders from 100 countries and Christian leaders from the Vatican, the, the Christian the head of the Russian Orthodox Church, the Greek Orthodox Church. There were leaders from Turkey and Iran, and nobody got up and walked out. I was one of the first speakers, which shocked me because I was sitting back relaxing, and all of a sudden the guy said, you're on. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, I, and I spoke about anti-Semitism. I gave him a really tough speech about how hate destroys societies and those who use extreme ideologies are high behind religious uh, extremist views. And, and I got a, a really significant applause. And Rav Amar was there, the former chief rabbi, and now the chief rabbi of Yerushalayim, and he was introduced as the chief rabbi of Quds. Ooh. No, that well, was in Arabic. Was, right. Yeah, I'm saying, that, that's, and, that's the name for Jerusalem, right? And nobody walked out. He, he gave a beautiful spiritual message. Interesting. It was, and both he and I were put in the front row. They, they do what they call a family photo of all of these people. And they're taking this, these Muslim imams, and I mean, sheikhs and, and leaders, and pushing them up on the second and third fourth thing. And the two of us were in the front row right next to the president of, of Azerbaijan. So it's really, it was such a positive thing in a negative week to see and to see how after the speeches they came to take selfies with us and to take pictures and uh, and it was on the front page of the uh, Azari newspapers a picture of of my meeting with the president, and described what what we talked about. So you know you can walk with the Yamaka in Baku, yep, but you can't walk with the Yamaka in Berlin, London, or Paris. That's a really important uh, thing to note. In addition, as I considered where on this globe to start this conversation uh, this week, because there's so much going on, and obviously the Israel stuff is piquing everyone's interest, um, you've mentioned, I mean, obviously you just brought up the topic of anti-Semitism. I'm fascinated, by the way, your description of that whole presentation. Um, We know what happened in Rockland County, I guess, is a big question mark still as to the motive, etc. I'm sure you saw the video from York University um, it, it, can you tell us anything reassuring about the about what's happening with anti-Semitic episodes in this country? Well, first of all, in anti-Semitism generally, the, uh, there was a landmark report from the Church of England this week, I don't know if you saw it, that said that centuries of Christian anti-Semitism led to the Holocaust. And the, the document, which is really quite remarkable because it took three years to, to prepare, and it's the first time the Church of England has made an authoritative statement on the subject of anti-Semitism. And it said that Christian attitudes toward Judaism have provided a fertile seedbed, and it was the term they used, for murderous anti-Semitism. And that, um, and that a similar hatred of Jews continues today 
within the political discourse by pro-Palestinian advocates. This is the Church of England. We've also seen uh, recognition of the issue of anti-Semitism in a number of forms in in, uh, the past week, but at the same time, the FBI statistics that came out are very disturbing and show a sharp increase and continued um, disproportionate, meaning more than half of the incidents of hate crimes are against Jews. In fact, Islamophobia has decreased. And although everybody wants to equate uh, all of the uh, the actions against uh, Muslims and Jews, it is not true. And the the incident, the terrible incident in Rockland County, the um, others around the country that that we have not all lead to a stabbing, but harassment, swastikas, physical violence. It's um, you know that's why that that. The treatment and the welcome in Baku stood out in such oh, dark relief. For sure, we need one of those conferences this. here. <laughs> frankly, and the uh, and uh, I think you know I, I've talked for how many years about the problem, and I know people said, "Oh, it's negative." You're, you're bringing up an issue, you know, it makes them uncomfortable when I talked about some of these issues for ten years, twelve years, because this was all building. You could see it. You could see it happening. And now, when you go wherever you go in the country, I mean, virtually everywhere. We see these expressions of uh, of anti-Semitism. The numbers that are coming out in in France, I think, a seventy eight percent increase in anti-Semitic attacks in in uh, Argentina, a hundred percent increase in other places. I mean, it's global. It's a pandemic, and people better wake up to it and and realize that hey, we got to educate our kids. We got to do more to protect our our schools and schools. We have to demand that there be zero tolerance. I want to see all the resources sent to federal and state and local resources applied. And I know the sheriff in, in Rockland County warned me months ago and said things are building up. And they recognized it. But we have to see that those who are responsible, nobody gets off with any more with a slap on the wrist, that the judiciary has to take it more seriously. And in every element that the Internet companies have to be held to account, this has to be a total war against anti-Semitism well, and Jew hatred. But before we even you know speak about social media, uh, you know, on the streets of this country, we'll take the U.S. just for a moment. I, I mean, it is, and you mentioned the harassment, and it's frightening, and and people are being harassed literally, and eggs are being thrown, and windows are being broken, and schools and schools are being targeted. And I know that I sound like an alarmist, and those not familiar with this area may think, "Oh my gosh, what's happening there?" But you get my point. It's happening way too often. I. I have said, and I, I would assume you agree that you know our safety, our safety, and the and the uh, the um, implementation of zero tolerance is all up to the government officials, and in our case, the NYPD, but police forces around the country. Doesn't it almost come down to you know as simple as that? That you know unless government officials and the local police forces demonstrate that zero tolerance. Then kids and adults who want to do these things, whether it's you know for fun or for you know purely to harass, are going to keep getting away with it. Well, the answer is, of course, you're right. But the New York Police Department is actually very responsive on it, and the city appointed a special coordinator. But the question is, what resources? What do we do in the Board of Ed? What what are we demanding of every principal to report every incident and what they're doing? to teach tolerance and to, to, to make it clear that this is unacceptable. What are we doing to check the textbooks? What are we doing to find out what is being preached in mosques? And, and I saw a, a report that one in ten 
uh, Christian churches, pastors are, are make anti-Semitic uh, comments. The, 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 every element of society, the entertainment sector, cultural, business, all of them have to be held to account. And, you know, because somebody happens to be Jewish and is involved in some event, and not even playing a negative role, but there could be a negative event or something, it always becomes then a blanket accusation. It does not true of any other group right. that they accuse the whole group when an individual is involved. And I think that... Um, that you know, we have to hold the media particularly to account. You know, with the, the the incidents that take place, you see that the the major media hardly covers when all the demonstrations in Iran, all of the things that. that, by, that by, by the way, did you notice that because this week it actually got some coverage, and, minimal, and, and minimal, but it got some, and I think it's because of the economic angle to it once prices went up i think it was something that the media felt americans could relate to in terms of why they're taking it to the streets but there were demonstrations in more than 100 cities this was bigger than the green revolution we speak to the people in iran every day and they say where's the coverage where's the outcry where's the response and the the courageous things that they're doing putting their lives on the line marching and saying we will not die for gaza we will not die for lebanon we will die for iran and, and spreading across the country, and that they're bringing in the Basij and the, the um, militias, the Pakistani and Afghani and others whom they have in, in Iraq, and that Iran has in Iraq and Syria, are, come, are being brought in because the locals won't challenge the people. More than 300 people, our sources say, have been killed. Where's the, where is that reflected? Israel gets bashed if one guy who's carrying out, a, who posed a terrorist threat, is hurt or, or, or killed. You hear no one hear the end of it, but here three hundred people can get killed, thousands arrested, and and the threats against everyone. They have not reinstated the the internet as they said it was. It reached about eight percent of the people yesterday. They cut them off. I'm surprised it's available to anybody, frankly. Well, it wasn't. It was shut off completely. It was all the business. But remember, banks and others can't do business right, when when all the internet is shut off. Good point. Right. Today, everybody's dependent on it, right. so it, it it doesn't end. Uh, in, 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 with that, and and look at if we can just for a minute on the, sure. because we're talking about Iran, it's a great um, case study of of why we complain about the distortion and why we we um, the threatening language. They threatened to hang the protesters. This is when they came on the newspaper. Now everybody who covers Iran would know this, and yet they don't talk about it. And they the uh, uh, this week. The IEA found that they had exceeded the heavy water, which to 130 tons was a limit, and they're way over it, considerably over it. But more than that, of all the violations of the JCPOA, and that the European Union now is found in a bind because, on the one hand, they defend the, the, the Iran deal, and on the other hand, they have to protest these violations because the Iranians are saying it. They're announcing it. They're not letting the inspectors in. They, they, um, uh, America said they would end the exemptions on the Fordo reactor, which allowed countries to, to help it because it was supposed to divert it into peaceful purposes. And everybody realizes they're using all of these facilities to develop their nuclear nuclear power. They should be front-page headlines because the potential threat of it is is very extensive. The, the, the number of missiles, what they, they've developed in terms of the 
guidance systems, which I've talked about here in a long time, and I know it's technical, but people have to understand this poses a direct threat to Israel's existence because 150,000 missiles in Hezbollah's hands in Lebanon get outfitted, a percentage of them, with these guidance systems that can target Demona, that can target cities, that can target Haifa and, and Tel Aviv. And, and, and we saw in Saudi Arabia that they're working because they hit dead center on every target. So we have on, on several fronts, you have Iran increasingly posing a threat to the region. It is why all the other countries in the region get it. The, uh, and the United States has been strong. The sanctions really do work, and we see that they're working. But the, the Europeans continue the policy of appeasement of the past, and the, uh, and the demonstrations in Iraq and in Lebanon are by Shiites against the Shiite Iranian uh, government and their presence in their countries. And although they've cracked down and they are, the Iranians are cracking down on all of this, it still continues. We know that demonstrations are still going on. We'll have to see after the Friday services today what happens, that um, I- Iran is escalating the threat all the time. And the shooting of the four rockets this week and Israel's strong retaliation, because they have to. They have to retaliate if to, to stop it, to show Iran that they can't get away with it. Unfortunately, the West has let them get away with all of these provocations and attacks, whether it's on Saudi Arabia or shooting down our drone. And if I sound like I feel strongly, it is because these are critical. These are, are long-term things. It's not just a passing headline, and whether it got coverage or not. This is about the future of the region, the future of the world. And we are failing the test again. As usual, unfortunately, it's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and com and the Siegel Network, and of course, in the beloved NSN app. I remind everybody that uh, we ask you to continue to support us. Our end-of-year campaign is in full swing. If you enjoy segments like these, join many guests and regulars who uh, of ours who are supporters of ours and um, put their money where their mouth is to keep our amazing programming going every single day. Go to fjbunity.org, 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 and we thank you. We we may get back to Iran. There are so many things to discuss. We'll see what kind of time we have left. But, of course, this audience is very anxious, as you would imagine, to discuss what's going on uh, in Israel. Before we do the indictments, let's just talk about the third election. I mean, they just couldn't get it done. And if I asked you, Malcolm, to analyze why they couldn't get it done, what's the core reason? Because the, the outcomes of the elections, uh, given the list system and the nature of it's not a two-party system or a three-party system, um, just lends itself to having these kind of, uh, hanging uh, results. And it's not only there. It can happen in Europe, England, other places. Right. You can even have minority governments in most countries. In Israel, they've had it, but it's much harder. And here, the differences, first of all, became very personal over Bibi and, and Gans, uh, between Lapid and, and the Lieberman's role against the Haredim and against others. Uh, very unfortunate for, for many reasons. At a time when Israel should be coming together, and we see that these deep uh, divisions uh, emerge, I think that it's still possible that you will get some sort of a compromise uh, government out of uh, in, in this the three-week period that began this week uh, after 
BB tried, then Gans tried. They ran the clock out. Now it's three weeks before Rivlin has to call a new election to President and, Rivlin. And it's open to any member of Knesset, including the two major uh, uh, parties, meaning that Netanyahu, right. in theory, could form a government still. He could, and the Arabs could, and others could. Right. Uh, but obviously, it's it's not likely. There are all sorts of formulas that are being, or, or splits within parties that are being projected. Uh, I don't see that happening now. Uh, I do think that the, uh, Netanyahu has really imposed um, discipline on the Likud, uh, although Gidon Sar this week obviously came out and indicated that he would be prepared to succeed him. Um, but I don't think that the Likud will vote to oust him, even with the result of the indictment, because a regular minister has to resign. That's why Bibi had to give up all his other right. portfolios. A prime minister doesn't, because a minister can come back. You know, if he right. gets exonerated, then right. he can come back. A right. prime minister, once he's out, he can't come back. All right. Uh, first, the timing of the indictments. What do you think of uh, of uh, Mandelblit doing this on day one of this 21-day period? I don't think it's related. I think Mandelblit is a tremendously honorable person. I know him well. He's he's a BB appointee, and he was very close to BB. You notice that BB said that he was under a lot of pressure. He did not accuse him or say he did say some things before, but but I think he was more careful in his remarks because I think he he um, they were very deliberate. This went for a long time. He kept postponing it. He didn't do it during the time of the negotiations of the parties. But once the negotiations ended, there was no reason not to to move ahead. And again, it's probably not till May or June till the, the actual indictments take place. Um, and if likely that there will be an election. It'll probably be mid-March, and the uh, so Netanyahu can stay as the head of Likud through through this time. Obviously, there'll be a lot of voices calling for him to step down. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't, I mean, you know... You, but, the, I, but, but that's on Mandelblit. Right. No, that he, if people, even in the Likud, have, have reiterated in the last 24 hours that he's an honorable guy. He did not do this for political purposes. He... Um, See, I don't know if you want him to step down, but wouldn't you agree to an extent that, that I mean, enough is enough at this point? There's no choice but for the good of the country moving forward that he stepped down, or, or, or I shouldn't make such a drastic statement? Look, I think, I think a person is entitled, including a prime minister, to his day in court. The conviction, I mean, the charge of bribery to me is very serious. Had been the other charges, just fraud and uh, just fraud, but uh, Breach of, uh, uh, it would have been much less serious. Bribery is, is something, and people in Israel don't believe that whatever faults he has, that he's corrupt. And, you know, whether this, uh, the, certainly on the cigars and champagne, he would, there would be no public support for something if they can show that it, it and obviously the conclusions. Uh, of a police investigation of a prime minister have to be very conclusive. It can't be something where they lose in court because it'll be so humiliating and so negative. So they have to be pretty sure of the charges that they that they can bring, and they've done such extensive work uh, on it that. Um, uh, and the public is just tired. They don't want to go to another election, and I don't believe, and that's why I still have hope that. In the last week of these three weeks, we'll get a deal that they don't want to face an angry electorate. I think Lieberman will get burnt badly by it because they blame him, right. but they may take it out on everybody. And people are tired. It's expensive. It's it's draining to go through three elections in a year. Shalosh pamim, pamim you know, I mean, this is not what they meant.
Um, there are those who conjecture that if there would be a third election, let's say now, uh, people who normally vote for smaller parties would drift toward the larger ones. Again, you know, fearing it's the only way they can make a difference and break this deadlock, frankly. Uh, number one, do you agree with that? And number two, in light of the indictments, would you assume then that Gantz has – that if that happens, if that's the philosophy of the country, so to speak, that Gantz has an unbelievable advantage going into the third election? He may have an advantage. I'm not sure that the blue and white party has the same advantage. One, two, that you can't predict what Israeli voters will do, because we know they tell the truth to pollsters and then lie at the polls consistently, and and that's why the predictions are generally off. They're very independent, and when you go in and you you cast a ballot in Israel, everybody knows how serious, how important the decisions, that decision is, and who will run the country, and because the, the ideological division, which is happening here now, too, is so stark that it's it's comes people choose a side so i don't know that how it will play out i don't know i haven't seen any predictions about that and a lot will depend on what happens in term i mean given the escalation of some of the problems that israel faces will people want somebody solid and and go with uh, one party or see the uh, guns is also a former chief of staff right. it's hard to predict on the topic of the substance of the charges, Caroline Glick writes, the charge that Netanyahu accepted a bribe is based on an invented notion that positive media coverage of a politician is bribery. The notion that press coverage can be considered bribery exists nowhere in the democratic world. No prosecutor in the world has ever indicted or investigated a politician or media organization of having committed bribery involving the provision of positive coverage. Senior American jurist appeared before Mandelblit in Netanyahu's pre-indictment hearing to warn him that pursuing bribery charges against politicians for receiving positive coverage is a recipe for destroying freedom of the press and democracy itself. By the way, she also points out that he never even got that positive coverage. You know, he, never, he never got what he supposedly bribed for. <laughs> Uh, well, that, but 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 funny, and I'm not saying that you know Caroline Glick's more you know her analysis is any better than yours. But clearly, you disagree with her. You feel that bribery, even if it is this questionable or you know the, you know something that the that the jurists you know debate, nonetheless, that scares you the most of all of these. No, I respect her greatly. I think her analysis is generally on target. I, I did not disagree. I, I'm saying to you that the charge itself, like not arguing what the substance is, right? Just the word. That just that the word about. is out there. Just but that's the out charge. There is a different quality. It's a much more serious for the Israeli people, and I think generally, than, you know, the charge just that, that um, of, of some misconduct or something, you know, a rap-on-the-knuckles type charge. And they have to prove it yet. And, and as I said, he, he, you can't assume that he's guilty until he's proven to be guilty. This is a charge. This is a conclusion of an investigation. Often, and the police in Israel have been proven wrong, and, court and, and uh, juries have exonerated people who were brought right. before them. Right. So we should not jump to conclusions that of, of the, the guilt or innocence, but it's an embarrassment to the country. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it is disabling. And then, you know, you see the prime minister's face, you see what a, a toll it takes. Yep. And on the other hand, you want them to be held to a high standard. And unfortunately, we've had others, a president, a former prime minister, others who have gone to jail. And it sends a message that Nobody is above the law. Did you feel Bibi's reaction was a little too strong in terms of not really? Uh, well, it's, it sounded like he was attacking both the system and those responsible for the system. 
He did, and and uh, one can understand it. He he uh, he feels that he's been persecuted and pursued, and, and as you know, they've gone after him and his wife and others uh, relentlessly. Um, you know, the media's job is to to do it, but they have to do it in an unbiased way, and it's hard to paint the much of the Israeli media as unbiased. Right, uh, but. You know, this is it's his right to to defend himself and to react. But at the same time, you know, they has to. He's running the country. He's got <clears throat> the unrest in Lebanon, the unrest in and in, in the missiles that that were fired from Syria and from Gaza. Right. I mean, he has real issues to contend with. Uh, all right, we'll get to Pompeo in a minute as I try to keep up with the demands of the emailers. Who want us to get to specific subjects, but I, I just need your help with some condemnation for a moment. You. You said a few minutes ago on the air about the uh, targeted killing of the uh, of the terrorist. Obviously, this, we didn't speak last week, so this is news from the week before, uh, the, from last week, not this week. Um, and, and and I think anybody listening knows what happens, what happened, of course, and how Israel took him out. And thank God that they did. Uh, yet you do see reaction from around the world, including people in our community, Malcolm, including people who are, identify themselves as members of the Jewish community who question, was it necessary to do this? Some of whom are saying, I don't know if you saw this or not, are literally saying Kaddish or suggesting people say Kaddish for this enemy of Israel. What's your reaction to that? Uh, The people saying Kaddish for somebody who launched countless missiles against innocent civilians is obscene. But the, the, um, you know, people can judge and second-guess any decision. But the truth is that when you cut off the head of the snake, yep. it does affect what happens to the snake. And while people will say, well, the, the going after him uh, brought about the, the couple hundred rockets that were fired, he, these rockets would have largely been fired over time anyway, whether it's that night or that weekend or later. And the, the truth is that when you eliminate the leadership, it's hard for them to replace them. And he, he became a symbol of 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 the terrorist resistance, and you notice how Hamas stayed out of this. They didn't get involved, right? And and were sidelined through, and continued to be throughout this because they felt that they were undermining not only Hamas's leadership but the stability of the region. They would, when there would be a ceasefire, uh, he would order that missiles be fired. So eliminating him. Whether, again, it's there's military strategy and decisions and all that, which we can't second-gaze because we don't have the full information. But they've been monitoring for a long time. They took the opportunity where it could do minimal um, damage, uh, collateral damage, and, and, and removed him. If they could remove Nasrallah, if they could remove others, you know, I'm sure that that opportunity would not be passed up either because it does change things. It does send a message. And... And no leader, nobody who threatens Jews or Israel should feel that they can do it with impunity, that there isn't a consequence. And whether it's a legal process in, in the countries or whether for terrorists that they will be hunted down, they have to know that there is a consequence and a price to pay. That's the only way you stop them. They only understand the language of strength. And that is proven true whether it's dealing with the Iranian leaders or the situation in Iraq uh, or, or elsewhere, even now, the Bolivian situation, mm-hmm. which is really a, a significant development. And now we find out how far Iran had integrated, infiltrated the government, how ministers were working with them, and how they are today trying to bring Morales back. 
and the, and of course, if if they can show that the Bolivia revolution works and they have a nice, a good election to follow up, a democratic election in government, Venezuela won't be far behind. And the whole and the the um, if if in Lebanon, the people are demanding, and it's the Shiites, not the Sunnis, who are demanding and protesting against the, the Hezbollah and against the presence of Iranian militia, and don't want a war because they know the price that they will pay. They can't, can make a difference. You know, last week I was at the Auschwitz exhibit, and obviously they give a comprehensive history of the years before the actual... Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the the uh, the political infiltration of a uh, of a um, you know powerful government or at least a government that that, that tries to act powerfully is, i mean it's the same it's the same exact system it's a, it's 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 a repeat of what happened under hitler in the 1930s in terms of trying to take over an entire region and he won elections right and he, and he had support and and people don't realize that, that it goes back to the early 30s and it didn't start in 38 with kristallnacht uh, on november 9th or you know that the persecution of jews jews were imprisoned in concentration camps five years earlier four years earlier so you're right people we learn from the lessons history it's not because it's identical it's never identical but it is there are trends there are lessons you learn from history you look at the sites and i tell people all the time now just ask any survivor what they see today what they smell what they hear and you'll get your answer about where we are We'll get to Pompeo in a second. On the NSN app, somebody who has close ties to Iran writes, Malcolm, this week was the worst so far in Iran. Hundreds were killed. Thousands were injured. Family, in reference to her family, family has to stay indoors because it was very dangerous. It's absolutely true. Uh, I I keep very close tabs on what's going on inside the country through, as you remember, when I coordinated the effort for the Iran 13, we established relationships with a lot of people. There are also Iranian expats, not Jewish, who are very very supportive, and, there are, and of course, there are Jews here who still have family there, right. and we, we stay on top of it because the information is so important, and we, we try to communicate and um, be a voice because what what the demonstrators are looking for is a resonance in the West, that they put their lives on the line, they want to hear that America cares, that the Europeans care, that the world cares, that it's not and not ignoring them. They, they want the Internet uh, service, which can be provided through machines and stuff, just too technical for me to understand or to explain, but I know what they, what they want and what they need. And they're absolutely right. Hundreds of people get killed. And then they say, well, where is everybody? And in a in hundred cities, including small cities, and also all along, you know, in the Azeri section, there are 30 million Azeris in, in Iran. Half the population is not Farsi. They're not Iranian. They're Baluchis and Azeris. And on the football games on Saturdays, they were taking down the Iranian flags and putting up the Azeri flag and yelling death to the dictator. And you don't hear them yelling death to Israel and death to America. Boy, oh boy. The headline reads, Pompeo announces reversal of longstanding U.S. policy on Israeli settlements. Is that headline accurate? And if yes, what's the new policy? Well, it it is in in a sense, but there was uh, U.S. policy uh, under President Reagan was changed also, where they simply declared that the settlements under international law are not illegal. That's it. There's nothing that changes on the ground. There's nothing that 
um, precludes, as they, those who oppose it, that it would uh, uh, final status negotiations. There are people who are critical of the move, maybe they felt the timing, whatever, but the fact is that there was no sovereign there. The last sovereign was the Ottoman, so you can't have the application of of illegality right. when there was no legal authority. That that's one. And the, I mean, you can go through all the legal arguments. People can uh, read it, but if the, um, you know, then Resolution Two Four Two doesn't mention the word Palestine anywhere, nor does it call on Israel to withdraw to the six day war lines, which is what the opponents are saying, and and it doesn't stipulate that uh, Judea and Samaria should be free of Jews. So what the recent U.S. move did does not have to undermine peace It's uh, of necessity. It's not, uh, it can be interpreted by some people, and, and they oppose it, the U.N. Security Council, 14 to 0, the European Union, but it's the same European Union that now wants to label products that come out of Yudin Shomron. They're not labeling products in any other disputed territory. So their credibility and their their uh, credence to do to come out with these declarations is uh, is very limited. So you know the the um, the declaration uh, and and of the by the um, EU and everybody that they are illegal. That undermines negotiations because you've essentially precluded negotiations because you've determined already their, their status. So I think that the um, you know that uh, I don't think it was a political move. I think it was something that they had studied for a long time and that they uh, came out with uh, um, because of the you know that it, it, it is a statement. That opens up, I think, opportunities for negotiations, and the Palestinians have to understand that they can't keep stonewalling. They can't keep, you know, demanding and making declarations, but not be ready to come to the table to talk. Right. Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to wrap up with a uh, a painful um, uh, question, but again, one that uh, too many people ask that we at least ask you about. And if you want to pass on it, I certainly understand. But um, uh, it, it is. Uh, do you agree at least that it is a legitimate position uh, among Israelis um, when they see noticeably observant Jews uh, chant and come out with uh, BDS-like statements about the state of Israel? No, not just Israelis. Every Jew, every American Jew, everybody ought to be outraged and declare those views, and when they give succor to the Iranians, to the every terrorist under the uh, under the sun, when they come out with, and you know, even Mahal Shabbos at times, to do these uh, anti-Israel demonstrations and manifestations, there is no justification. you got to think about what the world sees, and if you think they make a distinction between the Zionists and other Jews, you're making, they're making a fundamental mistake. So it's about their security, everybody's security as well. But some groups who are not as radical as the one you're addressing... Uh, are also being accused of acting in a BDS-like fashion. Anybody who supports BDS doesn't understand that this is exactly the boycotts of Jewish businesses from the 30s, that this is in itself anti-Semitism, because it's not based on policy. You can disagree, and you can even say that uh, that you don't believe that there should be a state at this time. We have to wait for Mashiach. People can have an ideological position. And uh, and it's a subject for a much longer discussion because right. I've had these discussions with with people involved. Uh, but when you publicly undermine and you you declare that you're associating yourself with the enemies 
of Israel and the Jewish people. Because the Iranians may welcome them because they say anti-Israel things or applaud some of the groups that make uh, statements. They don't have to support every decision of the government of Israel. They can uh, be opposed to a lot of things in Israel, but do it responsibly, do it intelligently. Mm-hmm. That's not what's happening. You have have uh, very blanket and uh, dangerous statements being made. I appreciate that. Well said. Thank you very much for joining us. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll announce whether uh, Thanksgiving weekend we will spend some time together or not. We'll figure it out, and have a wonderful Shabbos, and thank you. Okay, good job. There he is, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly updates Friday here at JMNAM. Whether there will be one next week or not, we'll certainly let everyone know during the week once uh, everyone's Thanksgiving weekend plans are uh, set.